up, hey us, welcome to the second Dragon Ball game music retrospective spectacular here at Kanzen Shu. This here is a bonus episode of our podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Kanzen Shu. My name is Mike Vegito EX, and I will once again be your host through time as we dig into our collective Dragon Ball and gaming fandom. Last time around on our first retrospective, we took a listen back at Dragon Ball video game music from the very beginning up through the 32-bit era, that's with the PlayStation and the Saturn. We called in favors from a bunch of friends, asking them to tell their stories. Where were they at that time in their lives? What about the games and the music really stuck out to them? And what kind of legacy did it leave on their fandom? Now, there was a bit of a DBZ gaming break between 1997, that was the completion of Dragon Ball GT on TV and the release of Final Bout on the PlayStation, before the huge resurgence hit in 2002, and in gaming terms, that was Legendary Super Warriors on the Game Boy Color, and of course Dragon Ball Z Budokai on the PlayStation 2, and that first game, uh, second game too, on the GameCube. This time around, here on the Retrospective, we are picking right up again where we left off. Now, since many of you didn't get into the series until this particular generation of games started up, I felt it was important to get some younger voices in the mix this time too. So big thanks to all of the special guests, the young and the old alike, that you are about to hear from. Everyone really does just have these great stories, so kick back and enjoy the stories that your fellow fans have for you, enjoy the music, and be sure to catch us every week here at Kanzen Shu for our podcast covering the best Dragon Ball news and discussions around. During the early 2000s, when I first heard that they were going to be releasing a new Dragon Ball Z game, I was, to say the least, really excited. Especially since it was like the first real major Dragon Ball Z game to come out since probably Final Bout. Now, when I first played Dragon Ball Z Budokai, I did not expect the game to exceed my expectations. Everything from the good gameplay mechanics, which were really simple and easy to use, to the great character and game design that really captured the look and feel of the show. And on top of that, it had a really kick-ass soundtrack. Now, one track that really caught my attention was a song called A Hero's Desperation. And this was a track that always played through certain epic, serious, climactic moments of the game, such as when Goku first transforms into a Super Saiyan to fight against Frieza, or when Gohan first transforms into level 2, to go against Cell. And it always got me excited, always put me in the right mood, and it just gave me that jolt of energy that I always needed if I ever needed to get excited or just really hyped up for something. Plus, I love hearing that guitar ripping.
you know, back in 2006 with the Budokai trilogy and the first Sparking game, Supersonic Warriors, the legacy of Goku, you would be forgiven for thinking that the Dragon Ball series might have run its course, but there I was, stood in a game store, waiting to purchase the latest Dragon Ball Z game. As you've probably figured out, um, that game was Super Dragon Ball Z, which didn't really need that introduction here on Kanzenshu. I didn't get to play multiplayer on the first day, which really was a shame, because back then I had a friend who played Dragon Ball games with me all the time. Me and him would play through the entire Budokai series and the sparking games, handheld games, so on. But the day after it came out, after we'd had our fix with the arcade mode anyway, uh, we was up against each other, two-player mode for days on end. But one of the first things we discovered is that there was an extra stage in the two-player mode, which was very interesting. The little Kaio planet that you couldn't pick on the arcade mode, or at least you couldn't get to in the arcade mode. There we go, we could go straight on it. And then the track for the level played. And this track sums up not only my memories for this entire game, but also my memories of multiplayer with this guy as well. It's a really light-hearted tune, but it's filled with this pumping energy, and it really has that Street Fighter EX feel, which, you know, the whole soundtrack kind of has that sort of Shinji Hoso feel. It just felt as colourful and vibrant as the stage and the entire game, really. It's really hard to describe, but the way the characters in the game move, the weight of the jumps and the attacks, it just seems to fit perfectly with... Not only this track, but really the entire score. It's not as fast as Budokai action, and it's not quite as slow-paced as the shenanigans that go on in the Sparking games. It's this beautiful middle ground that pulls really hard on my 90s uh, fighting game heartstrings. It sounded so much like any given Capcom arcade fighter. It really is just a shame that we didn't get a sequel to you know, subjectively, the greatest Dragon Ball game.
Up until 2006, I had never played a DBZ fighting game. I don't know why that is. I think it's just because I didn't own any of the consoles that the DBZ fighting games came out on. Any Dragon Ball game that I played, it was all on handhelds. But that didn't last because in late 2006, when Budokai Tenkaichi 2 came out for the Wii, it was one of the earliest Wii games I ever had, and it ultimately ended up becoming the very first Dragon Ball Z fighting game that I had ever played. And it still holds a very special place in my heart because I think Budokai Tenkaichi 2 really embodied everything that I wanted in a DBZ fighting game because it had all the characters, literally all the characters that I wanted to play as and more. It had all the voices that I had grown to love from having watched the series on TV on Toonami back in the day. And it had what I've really considered to be Kenji Yamamoto's uh, finest video game soundtrack because the score to Budokai Tenkaichi 2 really ranged from like these really happy upbeat tracks like Morning Dew to the other end of the spectrum with really dark fighting centric tracks like Stand After Confusion and I really grew to love the soundtrack as I played through the game and worked to unlock everything in it uh, but probably my fondest memory of the game and its music is sharing it with my siblings because I can my siblings were not Dragon Ball fans but if there was one thing we could all agree on was that the score to the game was just absolutely amazing in fact I can still see ourselves sitting in front of the TV and going to the sound test mode and scrolling to our favorite track and just listening to it on repeat while the little animation of Adele uh, would bounce up and down into it the music and <laughs> I remember my sister asking me, you think they'll put uh, Lost Courage, which was unanimously our favorite track from the score, you think they'll put Lost Courage in the sequel to the game? And I naively remember responding to, oh yeah, of course they will. I mean, it's the best track out of the entire game. I can still remember how bitterly disappointed we were when we found out that Budoka Tekaichi 3 did not have Lost Courage in its soundtrack.
when Mike asked me to record a little segment about a song I liked from the Budokai series, the first song that came into my head was the opening theme from Budokai 3. It represents a good chunk of my freshman year of college, as it was my dorm's local multiplayer game of choice for the better part of a semester. It basically beat out Soul Calibur 2, which is the previous game my dormmates and I play on a regular basis, but Budokai 3 was even more popular. My room was a constant revolving door of people wanting to play Winner, or people just wanting to watch because it was such a great spectator game. Funny part was that a number of the regular players weren't big Dragon Ball fans, and some weren't even fighting game fans. But it had this universal appeal that I can't really explain. But hey, I'm not going to complain. We had a great time. I'll admit my experience with the intro song itself was with an instrumental version, released here in America. Not that I dislike the lyrics at all, but I think as a song, it's still very strong musically, even without them. It is a hell of a Dragon Ball jam, that's for sure, with an exciting cinematic to go along with it. An incredible opening for a crazy fun game.
Uh, Mike asked a bunch of us, Mike Vegito EX, he asked a bunch of us to uh, throw down some words about uh, the music from the later Dragon Ball Z games as a follow-up to an earlier podcast episode he did. So, in that spirit, uh, he let us all kind of choose some music from, you know, one or two titles or whatever from the different various later Dragon Ball Z games and kind of give some words on that. And the one I ended up choosing was the opening theme to Burst Limit, known as Kiseki no Hoyo no Moegare. And uh, the, the vocal version, of course. I don't know if there's another non-vocal version. But the thing is, the uh, reason I chose this song, well, there was two reasons, really. One, because the Budokai 3 theme was already taken. And uh, two, because... Uh, not well, Let me get into that. Okay, so a lot of people, you know, like, there's a lot of cool songs in Dragon Ball. A lot of cool Kageyama songs, a lot of cool uh, Kikuchi songs, whatever. Even some from like other no longer Dragon Ball the music creators and whatnot. There's a lot of really cool music and it hits people in a lot of really special ways and whatnot. But that's not where I'm going with this. The reason I found that song so compelling, while it is a great song, is not because of the song itself, but because of the presentation it was given once it made its way to America. Uh, as far as I can remember, this was one of the first, if not the first, Dragon Ball Z games to reach the States where the vocals weren't stripped out of the opening, or, you know, the opening wasn't replaced with entirely different music. And I thought that was pretty cool because it seems that uh, Dragon Ball Z has this thing in the States about sometimes it wants to be anime and sometimes it wants to be an action cartoon. And between the two, uh, it, it just can't seem to make up its mind. I mean, it kind of just depends on who's handling what. But in this case, this is really one of those times where the game came to America and it felt like it, I was actually playing something that, you know, was proud to have been from somewhere else. Like I said before, the opening themes to, you know, Dragon Ball Z Budokai uh, 2 and 3, the, uh, it were instrumental versions of the Japanese opening, and the first Budokai was just completely replaced from, I think it was Chala Hedchala, and it's, it was Rock the Dragon, which is really interesting because I hadn't used that song for years. But anyway, back onto my main point, the, the thing that really struck me about it wasn't the song itself, but the fact that Dragon Ball Z likes to sometimes pretend that it's not Japanese, and with help from the fans, it succeeds in doing that. Uh, a lot of the uh, American fans, you know, they tend to like the complete Americanization of it, and that's fine, whatever. You know, peop some people like Super Sentai, some people like Power Rangers, you know, same sort of thing. The fact, though, that when the game was released, it didn't feel like it had to pretend it wasn't Japanese, like it didn't have to like remove that music or anything, it was just a really neat little thing. Because I don't think it really would have hurt any of the previous titles. People who are fans of Dragon Ball Z are going to be fans of Dragon Ball Z, whether it's going to be, you know, some generic rock music at the beginning, or if it's going to be a really well-known Japanese anime opening theme singer, you know, doing his thing. Uh, once they get into the gameplay of those games, it's pretty much all gravy from there no matter what. So that's pretty much all I really have to say about the song altogether. Uh, not really a long piece, but I just thought it was a really interesting tidbit to point out was that for once, Dragon Ball Z in America wasn't afraid of being Japanese. <laughs> 
Well, originally I was going to pick Kiseki no Hono yo Moyagare, but Josh had to be a total jerk and snipe that one, along with the rest of you jerks, with every other opening song, so I thought, fine, if you guys are going to take all the good openings, then I'll just have to find myself a piece of BGM that I really like. This was not the easiest venture, but ultimately I came upon two that really struck me. Originally I was going to go with the Namek theme from the original Budokai, but then I found myself leaning more towards Warrior from an Unknown Land. There's this quality to the song that, while repetitive, is engaging, dramatic, and even a little epic. Its backing vocals and drums really give it a sense of scale, while the strings just build and build. Whenever I hear it, I just imagine Son standing up to an opponent far stronger than himself and pulling out all the stops in one dramatic last-ditch effort. I think it really helps to highlight the more synth orchestral quality of the first couple of Budokai games. Ball Z is when I watched the program on the UK version of Cartoon Network. They only went up to Imperfect Cell, so I had no idea who Perfect Cell and Super Saiyan 2 Gohan were. I also didn't know much about the Boo saga. First time I saw Boo was in the Super Boo Toden 3 game and Budokai 2 on the GameCube. Starting on the GameCube, I played Dragon Ball Z Budokai, then I got Budokai 2, as well as Dragon Ball Z Sagas, and on the Game Boy Advance I played the Legacy of Goku games, and then later on I moved to the PlayStation 2 and the Wii, and I got to play Budokai Tenkaichi 2 and 3. Budokai Tenkaichi 3 in particular is a really fun game, and I love it. It's got so many characters, and the motion controls work really well in that game. Going back to the older games, I also have fond memories of the Famicom games, in particular... Dragon Ball Z 2, which takes place on Namek, and Dragon Ball Z Gaiden, in which the characters fight against movie villains and have to relearn all their old moves again. Dragon Ball Z Legends was another favourite of mine, since you could have so many characters on the screen at one time. In 2003, I was still playing a lot of Game Boy Advance games. I was also playing Game Boy Color games. One game I got was Legendary Super Warriors. It's a turn-based card game, which separated itself from the more typical fighting games, which represented the series previously. The first time I played the game, I was terrible at it. It was only later that I began to appreciate the game more, and I started thinking more about tactics and planning for future turns. 
one thing it has in common with a more traditional fighting game is you have to basically predict your opponent's moves and try and anticipate what they're going to do. Another great thing about playing this game was that I made some new friends, many of which I still keep in regular contact with. Even though the Game Boy Color had a limited sound system, it was still possible to create some iconic tunes. There's a few pieces of music I could have chosen, such as the main title theme, end credits, or the main battle theme. I've decided to go with one of the pieces of music taken from story mode. It's played just after Goku becomes a Super Saiyan for the first time when he's facing Frieza. The scene in the Namek Saga where Goku turns into a Super Saiyan for the first time is one of the most iconic and memorable scenes from both the anime and the manga. It was important to do it justice in terms of the audio, and this game delivered. The song called Awakening starts with a dark and foreboding tone before turning into an intense battle warm-up. In particular, the drums and the bass lines stand out the most. And there's an amazing use of layers here. The song takes several twists and turns. There's a few high notes in there to catch you off your guard. The piece of music works really well, and it perfectly captures the mood of the scene it's meant to represent. Ultimately, it gets the player pumped up and we're ready for the final battle against Frieza. So without further ado, this is the song Awakening. It's almost impossible to talk about any modern Dragon Ball music without almost setting the stage starting with the three Budokai games and then moving forward through everything else. And this is uh, this generation, the Xbox 360 and the PS3 generation. Yeah, I have to start with Budokai games. So they came out, those three games, one, two, and three, in North America and Europe first, and then later in Japan, amazingly enough. As Dragon Ball was huge over here, it seemed like Atari was helping fund them, and that's just how it worked. Um, Dragon Ball Z3 got a little bit of extra stuff over in Japan, but overall, they were pretty much the same games. The next series came out as Sparking in Japan, if you've 
played him internationally. You know them as Budokai Tenkaichi. Those three actually came out, uh, if I remember correctly, about maybe a month or so earlier in Japan than they did throughout the rest of the world. Now, I had already picked up a Japanese PS2 uh, after Budokai 3 came out because I loved the game so much I wanted to get the Japanese version. So having a Japanese PS2 and knowing that the Sparking games were coming out in Japan first, I imported all three of those games, Sparking, Sparking Neo, and Sparking Meteor, especially hearing that those games were going to have the Kikuchi soundtrack in them to basically play the show. That was awesome. In fact, I've only ever picked up the first Budokai Tenkaichi on PS2, and really for no reason. I just remember being in a GameStop one day, I think I saw it for $10, like, eh, I guess I should grab this. Uh, the international versions not only had a flip-flop name, but they had replacement music. The first game had recycled Budokai music. The second and third had all new music, which was composed in Japan. It was really weird. Now, you've already heard Willie talk a bit about a replacement track from that second game, so I'm going to kind of move forward from here. The three Blast games continued this trend. There was Raging Blast, Raging Blast 2, and then Ultimate Blast, which we got as Ultimate Tenkaichi over here. In at least Raging Blast 2, even, the international replacement songs were actually unlockable in the Japanese version as an alternate score to the game. Now, unfortunately, we didn't get the opposite. We could not unlock the Japanese score in the games. And then there was that whole shakedown with Yamamoto being ripped out of everything and old Budokai Tenkaichi music being slapped in reprints of Raging Blast 2. That was a thing. But this is about the Kikuchi music in those games. Actually, it's not. It's about Kenji Yamamoto. It's about the Yamamoto piece. Battle Point Unlimited. Now, this song actually debuted on DBZ Hit Song Collection 6 in March 1991 in Japan. This is crazy to me. I'm sure I knew this, but as I'm writing my outline here, I'm like, oh my god. It debuted in March 91 on CD, but it wasn't used in the series until December that year. It was used twice in DBZ episode 120. It's when Trunks transforms into Super Saiyan, and at the end of the episode when Trunks kills Frieza. Now, as we all know by now, Battle Point Unlimited is this reconcoction of several songs by the German band Propaganda. Mostly the murder of love, and mm, sort of two other songs, and maybe even a little more bits and pieces of other songs from the band. This song has never Never, 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 never appeared on anything else. No CD compilations at all, ever. Not even on the giant 13-disc Chozenju set. But it popped up in Raging Blast 1 and 2 over in Japan. Now, like everything else in these games, it's a this newly synthesized kind of version of the song. It's not literally the exact Kikuchi music and stuff. It's, you know, just redone for the game. Uh, it's only about a minute long. Battle Point Unlimited is actually quite long. It's about five minutes long, I want to say. Uh, but it's significant really because how it never showed up again until these two games. And it's not in Ultimate Blast. It's only in Raging Blast 1 and 2. And hey, it's a great little version of the song. So for its significance, but also because Yamamoto, for everything he's done, did a pretty crazy arrangement of these propaganda songs. I gotta share with you the Raging Blast version of Battle Point Unlimited. Limited.
I've owned a good handful of game consoles over the years, but my very first one was a Game Boy Pocket. It wasn't much at the time and was already on the verge of being overtaken by its successor and other more powerful products, but it meant a lot to me. Not only did I finally have a gaming system of my own, but I could take it with me anywhere I went, which I did. Combine this with the fact that I've always ranked pretty low in my family's chain of who in the house got to use the TV and when, and it's no surprise that I grew up to be a pretty devoted handheld gamer. As the years went by and I continuously upgraded to bigger, better, and more beautiful handheld consoles, I certainly ended up dipping into assorted Dragon Ball games. But the first one that really wowed me and had me genuinely hooked was Shin Budokai 2, subtitled as Another Road in the West. About five years ago, I managed to save up enough from my then-current job as a movie theater cleanup slave, or usher as they're sometimes called, to buy myself a shiny new PSP. I picked up this nowadays underappreciated little gem of a game along with it, eager to dive into yet another new DBZ title. Even today, I'm not sure what it is about this game that made me fall in love with it so much. It wasn't the story mode, though I'll give them credit for managing to cram in every single playable character into the narrative somehow. It wasn't the multiplayer mode, since to this day, I've never actually played a game against another real-life person. Maybe it was the fast-paced action, akin to Budokai 3 but without a dragon rush every five seconds. Maybe it was the relatively impressive graphics with the pretty auras. Seriously, those things are beautiful. Maybe it was the disconnected from the story but nonetheless awesome inclusion of Super Saiyan 4 for Goku. Who knows? I eventually traded that old PSP 1000 model in towards, I think, a DSi. But when I picked a 3000 model back up earlier this year, you can bet your bippy that I snatched this game back up with it ASAP. Which finally brings me to the song I want to talk about. It's the game's opening theme, apparently composed by that infamous rogue Kenji Yamamoto, entitled Fight for the Future aptly in reference to how the game's story stars Future Trunks. While it sounds like most instrumental DBZ game music and doesn't really stand out in any special way, it's still a pretty catchy tune, and it holds a certain nostalgic value for me. When I first popped the game's UMD into my new PSP a few months back, and started it up for the first time in years, I instantly recognized the song and was taken back to those good old days. You know, 2007.
So this song is really special because it was the first song since Final Bout to actually be in a video game and be sung by uh, Hironobu Kagayama. And of course, that made us all go absolutely bananas at the time. And the best part about it is that it's been 10 years later and it still pretty much drives us bananas because it is that awesome. It sounds like a typical Dragon Ball song, which is great, but it's also way more modern than I think songs that we've heard before. Uh, I always thought of this song as if there was ever a modern day retake on the Dragon Ball Z anime, this should be the theme song because it still maintains that kind of Dragon Ball music spirit, but it's still modern and it, it fits in this time. Whereas, yeah, as much as I love Chala Hedge, it's still, you know, it's pretty dated sounding. But this song, it makes you feel so amped up to play this game. It's kind of unbelievable because you think to yourself, this song is so awesome and the intro is phenomenal. How can playing the game be any better? And you know what, Budokaiju is pretty freaking awesome. It holds its own, you know, it's it's better than the first one, I think. And having that song to kind of set up the game is just, you know, really sets a perfect mood. The song itself is just such a great guitar riff. I absolutely love the horns. I think that's probably my favorite thing about the song other than the vocals, obviously. And I think what really drives the whole thing home is the music video that we got as part of the bonus DVD and seeing him in LA in the very awkward budget music video setting. Like, oh, he's just standing in the street, but he's still rocking out because this is just such an awesome song. And you can tell how much he loves performing even though he's standing awkwardly in the middle of the street i like to think that he likes performing this song um it's especially fun seeing all the caucasian dudes you know doing all the music in the background when we were re-watching the video for this segment i was talking to mike and saying it's funny even though there's you know white people playing this music if I were to close my eyes, I still know this as a Dragon Ball Z song. It still sounds like a Kenji Yamamoto arrangement. It doesn't matter who's performing it on the other end. It could be anyone. Um, this is just so solidly a Dragon Ball Z song. It's hard to think of it as anything else. I kind of set this song as the, the golden standard to which any other subsequent vocal video game opening is measured because it is so powerful and fun to listen to and exemplifies what Dragon Ball Z is that there have been a few songs that have come after it that have come close uh, and probably meeting as good of a song this is in my head uh, but that's pretty damn hard because this song is amazing and I absolutely love it and I can listen to it over and over again and not get sick of it it's just amazing and a lot of fun to listen to <laughs>
Legacy of Goku 2 was one of the earliest Dragon Ball Z games that I ever played. In fact, I even remember how I got my particular copy. I, uh, I traded my copy of Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland to my next door neighbor in exchange for his copy of, uh, Legacy of Goku 2. And judging by the amount that I played Legacy of Goku 2 after I traded, I'm pretty sure the other guy, <laughs> uh, got ripped off. Uh, Legacy of Goku 2 is one of the most, uh, interesting games that we got after the revival because it it wasn't Japanese made. It was actually made by Atari or Webfoot or Infogrames, whoever was in charge of, the, of making the American-made uh, Dragon Ball Z games. But unlike a lot of the other ones that came out both before and after it, it was a solid game. And it wasn't just solid. It was probably one of the best uh, DBZ games that 
I have ever played because it, it got the story right and it was it was fun to play and probably the best testament to how fun and good the game was it actually got I think I I believe this is correct that out of all the games that were America exclusive so to speak the legacy of Goku 2 was the only one to have actually been released in Japan and I, I think that's a huge testament to how good the game is uh but i think more than that i would love to know what the uh what the japanese uh actually think about the legacy of goku 2 because a lot of people don't know this nearly all the music from legacy of goku 2 it's almost all of it is just dub music that was remixed into almost chiptune uh uh style music starting from the opening thing that plays with the little video animation which is just a 16-bit version of the of the falconer opening but that's what the game was known for because it had a really good soundtrack but the soundtrack was almost entirely based off the falconer music if you didn't know better you were playing the game with an awesome soundtrack but if you did know better you weren't just playing playing the show for Legacy of Goku 2, you were playing the show with the music from the show. And I think that gave Legacy of Goku 2 this really unique feeling that really only the uh, Sparking games had, or the, the Bodoka Tekaichi games had, as far as playing a game with its uh, with its uh, soundtrack. And I would love to know what the Japanese uh, fans thought about playing a, ga a handheld game from America that had the American music. I, I think that's something that they've never experienced before in the same way that we never had a vocal song until one of the later games came out here in the U.S. And probably my favorite track off the score to uh, The Legacy of Goku 2, the soundtrack to the game was never released, so. But probably my favorite is the one that plays uh, during Kami's Lookout. Or not during, not during, when you're on Kami's Lookout. Uh, it's a very nice and slow, pensive uh, track. It's I think it captures the feeling of waiting before the Cell games to start during that 10-day period. I think it captures that, that tension and pensiveness really, really well. And interestingly enough, that also happens to be a track that was based on the the dub score specifically sadly uh unreleased track called palace in the clouds that wasn't fully released but that we have a snippet on on the trunks compendium soundtrack that came out here in the in the states so long ago and i think probably the best aspect of this track isn't just that it's featured in the game but the fact that it's actually also featured in the sequel which discarded most of the uh soundtrack from legacy of goku 2 and put it in its own that was also from the dub but this particular track managed to stick around for both legacy of goku 2 and boost fury which i think goes to show just how nice of a track it is and and probably why it's my overall favorite from the game.
And this is a story all about how I made a Flash movie in 2004, and I'd like to take a minute to tell you about how I used a illegal piece of music in a cartoon I put on Newgrounds. Okay, so when I was doing TV Tome Adventures on Newgrounds like a million years ago, uh, I used to use a lot of, obviously, copywritten music and stuff, and uh, I had this one character named Zeto who was kind of a, like, nod tribute ripoff of Dragon Ball Z in general. He had spiky hair and could power up and could shoot energy blasts, and he had a personality very akin to Vegeta. So, uh, I wanted to use a Dragon Ball Z theme to befit him, but not one that was so obvious. So, I was listening to the uh, Dragon Ball Z Budokai 2 soundtrack, and there's a track on there called Mission, Make a New Legend. And it's uh, not quite like the main theme of the game, like the title screen or anything, but it was like one of the most prevalent ones throughout the game. Uh, I attributed it a lot to Vegeta uh, when I was playing it, and I, I rather quite liked it. So I thought, oh, this fits the character really well, I'm going to use this. And uh, I really grew to like the soundtrack of, of not just that one, but all three of the Budokai games. But Mission Make a New Legend was a big personal favorite of mine, and I really enjoyed it. And it brings back nostalgic memories of like 2004, 2006 or so. So here is Mission, Make a New Legend.
I'm glad Mike let me be a part of this episode. This generation of DBZ games are my fondest memories, or better word, nostalgia. That definitely came from playing the Budokai games. I was nine when these first came out. I'm 20 now. I used to play them every day. You can also call it nostalgia, which I usually don't let influence my opinions, but I haven't bought the HD collection since the music got replaced for it. Kind of funny that even in 2013, Dragon Ball is still getting replacement music. But my song choice is the world tournament theme. I remember it playing and being pretty distinct. Not sure if Yamamoto ripped it off of anything or not. It had a very Asian sound to it, even if stereotypical, which, considering DBZ, it has no problem playing with stereotypes, so that fits in just fine. As much as I love the uplifting and jazzy tunes of Ore wa Tokoton Tomoranai or Hikari no Sasu Mirae, I felt like Battle of Omega brought out that special and occasional all-out battle type of song that Kagayama likes to give us from time to time. Right there was Super Survivor, another one of my favorites. Back when Raging Blast 2 came out, I had taken a break from the mainstream fighting Dragon Ball games since Sparking Meteor and took my time upgrading to an HD gaming console and passed on Burst Limit. Well at least until later, and decided to sit out on the original Raging Blast, as I knew a successor had to be right around the corner. The trailers, the gameplay videos, the leaked opening, the demo, it all had me so pumped for my first HD Dragon Ball game, and I knew when I heard Battle of Omega that I was in for an awe-inspiring string of battles. This was going to be intense. This was going to be epic. I was originally scared that, with the Raging Soul system and its constant use of the intro theme, that I would tire of it. Oh no. Every time I let go and let my power explode, unleashing a flurry of furious fists and that song kicked in, it was like I was so good that my fight got that rare insert song. Pure magic. Battle of Omega rocks really hard and touches on that raw aspect of the fighting in Dragon Ball. The shonen spirit of never giving up, even when things are at their bleakest. Struggling against unknown odds and finding that power deep within and fighting your way to ultimate victory. Take your chance. Beat it now. Never stop till you win and survive. Oh, 
the newer Dragon Ball games, many simply began to use the music right from the show. Dragon Ball Z Harukunaru Goku Densetsu for the Nintendo DS featured an entirely original soundtrack. While some of the songs, like the title theme and the level start theme, were paltry sound-alikes of Chala Hedchala and the title card song from the anime, the game's battle music was excellent, namely the boss theme. While most of the major bosses like Frieza and Cell had their own battle themes, this was the tune that played for any standard level boss in the game. Of all of the tunes in this game, this one sounds the most like something that you would imagine to actually be in the show without being a downright imitation. Plus, this song totally served its purpose. When this tune played, you knew things were about to get serious, and getting dealt an excellent hand just got you even more pumped. I know the fandom is somewhat divided on this game, but this song is awesome regardless.
Infinite World came out in a weird place at a weird time. Burst Limit was already on the scene kicking things into HD, but Infinite World brought the so-called Best of the Budokai series to the PS2 later that year, there in uh, 2008. A lot of people missed the game. It had a few clunky parts, of course, some of the single-player missions, uh, taking out some of the Budokai 3 characters like Oob, but it also had a ton of really great additions and fixes, really. Uh, removing Dragon Rush, I'm sure 99% of people think was an improvement. Uh, adapting some of the Shin Budokai and the Burst Limit mechanics back into the game. Good stuff. It also had a really interesting soundtrack. Yamamoto took where he was going in Burst Limit, which where, since learning, seems to just be bullet for my valentine or reptile sale uh but he kind of went crazy even onward from there and this is at the point that he starts calling himself kens as opposed to crediting kenji yamamoto now one of my favorite tracks from the game isn't one of the vocal themes and it isn't even one of these standard battle tracks it's the capsule background music it has this insane funky beat to it and it spells out the word character in the background with these really modulated vocals and it just gets you nodding your head it's an Overlook song and an Overlook game, and you need to hear it. In 98 and 99, I was in fourth grade, and Dragon Ball Z was quickly rising in popularity in the US, and I mean, none of my friends had internet, but one of our classmates did, and she would print off a sheet of one inch by one inch pictures on copy paper, and give them to us if we bought her, like, chips or candy or something at lunchtime. And, uh, we succumbed to her demands, and like, little genius, we gazed in awe at the small, pixelated portraits of SS4 Gogeta and Janemba, Cooler, and other various villains. We hadn't even seen past the Cell games at that point, but one always stood out to us. She brought multiple sheets of this uber-macho Saiyan with rippling muscles and biceps that could fit a small child inside. One of my friends, knowing he was called Brawly, told us of how he could destroy galaxies and it took four Super Saiyan 4s 
just to beat him at Super Saiyan 1. Of course, I believed in everything he said. Having found Legends and Final Battle at a local game retailer, along with a way to mod the PlayStation 1, I was eager to explore this unknown future of the series. However, none of these games had Broly. My anticipation was still high, eager to see just how ludicrous and how powerful this guy was. 2003 rolls around and the legendary Super Saiyan is released stateside. Talk about disappointment seeing Goku and his power of friendship punching a hole through the supposed Galaxy Destroyer. Still, I viewed Broly with enthusiasm, as many other kids of my generation seemed to be infatuated with him. So much so that Taiketsu on the Game Boy Advance... <sighs> advertised itself as the first game to feature him. I was desperate for a good game to play as him. Budokai 3 came, and for a while, that was the apex. I mean, everybody pretty much unanimously agrees Budokai 3 was great, but I wanted a game to fly around and do crazy battles like Legends, and this was before Tenkaichi came out. I didn't really want a good game, I just wanted one where I could reenact the show's crazy pace, and Supersonic Warriors filled that handily. Also, playing it on the bus ride to school was a pretty big plus. However, Broly wasn't in that, and I was still in a pretty big Broly kick. Since you could do three-on-three -three battles, I made do by setting me playing as three characters versus three Super Saiyan trunks on the hardest difficulty. You know, since his hair kind of looks like Broly's. I was a desperate kid. Broly's legacy continued to Super Sonic Warriors 2, where he's pictured front and center facing off against Goku, and that Christmas, the only thing I asked for was a DS and that game. To my elation, Santa knew I was good that year, and popped in the game and started blasting through the story mode so I could unlock Broly and the other characters. It's the first portable game to have such a huge roster. I could play through all sorts of fantasy battles and write scenarios in study hall to play through on the bus ride home. The first time I fought Broly, I heard the theme of New Vegeta play. I was slowly getting into metal, and aside from the intro, most of the music on Supersonic Warriors 2 seemed to range from trance to rock, but this, this was metal. This song was Broly. The slow, crunching guitars just marching forward, I could just feel like he's coming at me. And then, but really, what makes this song for me is that frickin' solo and the breakdown, just ugh. Just when it shows up mid-fight when you're fighting him in story mode, and I was like, ugh, this is it. This is it. And just in a small way, I felt like the Galaxy Destroyer was back.
so into the later generation of video game music. I'm more familiar with this stuff, mostly because I got into the series a little bit later than Mike. But funny thing, I've never actually owned a Dragon Ball video game. Nevertheless, um, one of my favorites from this era is actually maybe a choice that you might not expect. But I've actually got a really soft spot for the ending theme to Dragon Ball Z Infinite World from the end of 2008. Now this song is a little ditty called Dragon Ball Party. It's actually quite different from a lot of the other Dragon Ball songs that you've got out there. I mean, when you think of a Dragon Ball Z song, especially a Dragon Ball Z video game song, you've got a couple of different molds. I mean, especially when you have Hironobu Kageyama involved, you've got the powerful rocker which talks about strength and defeating the bad guys and, you know, courage. And then you've got the slow, perhaps, strings piece with references to the path that we walk and the sadness of partings and that sort of thing. This, this is one of those rare pieces that's this groovy little dance number that's kind of silly and it's just talking about having fun. And the animation that goes along with this in the video game, which has Giru sort of dancing around to the music, is a perfect complement to it, I think. And it's a lot of fun, really. I mean, one of the things I like about it, I guess, is just how true it is to the spirit of the show, in that it's just sort of this delightful piece of ridiculousness that works. And not only this, of course. You've got Hironobu Kageyama, who's really digging it as well. You've got the backup singers. And I think the standout for this really has to be Kanon. Now, Kanon, if you don't know, is the daughter of the infamous Kenji Yamamoto. He of the music scandal for Dragon Ball Kai. And, of course, he also composed most of the video game music for the Dragon Ball Z series, right up until Raging Blast 2. Well, in this case, uh, it had kind of been building for a while, but with the game's sparking meteor, or Budokai Tenkaichi 3 in the US, as well as Burst Limit, you have this co-composition by Ken's, which is Kenji Yamamoto, and Kanon. So he'd been sort of bringing his daughter into the mix already. But this song was composed entirely by Kanon, which I think is probably a first for her in the series. Now, later on with Dragon Ball Kai, she composed a few pieces, including, I think, she composed, wrote the lyrics, arranged, and performed My 18th Magic, the image song for number 18. But this was probably her first real foray into doing the music for a piece in Dragon Ball, and I think it comes out to be a really rousing success. Of course, when you talk about this piece, there's also the big rap section in the middle, and this was a gigantic headache for me for years. And for this, too, I also have Kanon to thank. She's actually quite clever in her use of lyrics and rhythm, but I don't know. <laughs> Her English is not katakana pronunciation, but it's not natural pronunciation either. And combine that with rhythm and rhymey sing-song lyrics, and it comes out to something that I couldn't make heads or tails of for years. And it took me going to a karaoke place and sitting down and actually recording <laughs> the lyrics on screen in order to finally transcribe this for the website. So, thank you, Kanon, for that. But in spite of that, I just really enjoy this song in a way that's probably... I don't know. It just gets into your head, and it makes you kind of groove to the music when there's no music around and people start to look at you funny. So, yeah, I have to say this is probably one of my favorite pieces in the modern era. I just 
hope that it doesn't fall victim to the Yamamoto curse, where everything that Kenji Yamamoto touched ever is suddenly obliterated from memory, thanks to uh, Toei Animation and the other rights holders involved. Because I really think that Kanon has shown some serious talent and has really come into her own as a composer, so I think it would really be a shame if she were to fall victim to the result of purging her father's name from everything. So, let's hope for the best. Showtime, no die. 
who contributed their stories and song choices this episode. The folks you heard from this time around were myself kicking things off with the main theme to Ultimate Tenka Ichi, which was actually later reused twice in both Dragon Ball Z for Kinect and in the HD collection version of Budokai 3. Our buddy Albert with a piece from the first Budokai game story mode, commonly called A Hero's Desperation. Rory representing Super Dragon Ball Z with Kaio's Planet background music. Willy Venom Symbiote with Lost Courage, an international replacement music track from Budokai Tenkaichi 2. Our buddy Bryce with the instrumental version of the Budokai 3 opening theme. The instrumental is actually called the Ultimate Energy. Josh, our buddy Kendamu with Kiseki no Hono yo Moe Agare, the opening theme to Burst Limit on the PS3 and 360. Scott, Kaiser Neko of, of course, Team 4 Star with a piece from the Budokai series, Warrior from a Mysterious Land. Legendary Super Warrior Superfan Alex with a piece called Awakening from the aforementioned Game Boy Color game. Myself, Mike Vegito EX with the Raging Blast version of Battle Point Unlimited. Moderator extraordinaire Sean Mr. Kaboom with the opening theme to Shin Budokai 2 or Another Road on the PSP. Mary with the vocal version of Kusuburu Hatani Hiosukero, the opening theme to Budokai 2. Willie Venom Symbiote with the Kami's Lookout background music from The Legacy of Goku 2 on, of course, the Game Boy Advance. Chris Carverfer with Mission Create a New Legend background music from Budokai. Frankie with the World Tournament theme music from Budokai, Budokai 1 specifically. Randy Haseo Wolf with Battle of Omega, the opening theme to Raging Blast 2 on the PS3 and 360. A Prudagas artist extraordinaire, Tekaman James, with the boss battle music from Harukanoru Goku then sits on the Nintendo DS. Myself, Mike Vegito EX, with Capsule Corporation from Infinite World on the PS2. Kiran, Lord Moonstone with the new Planet Vegeta background music from Buku Resen or Super Sonic Warriors 2 on the Nintendo DS. Our very own Julian Saya Jedi with Dragon Ball Party, the closing theme to Infinite World on the PS2. And there we go. Even with such variety in the choices though here, I feel like we're still only scratching, barely scratching the surface of each generation's music. So we're definitely going to have to catch up again at some point in the future. I would love to do another one. There's just this incredible music, so much of it, older and newer alike, that just 
It means so much to so many people, as you've heard right here on the episode. Until then, though, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will continue to enjoy each and every episode here at Kanzen Shu. I have been your host, Mike Vegito EX, and I would like to leave you with a little bit of background history from the DBZ gaming world. For all the laughs and occasional deep sighs that Mr. Kenji Yamamoto has left us with lately, there's no denying, as seen by plenty of song choices this episode, that his collaboration with artists like Tower of Power for the Budokai soundtracks just it brought the music to incredible new heights that I'm not sure he would have been capable of on his own. There were three songs in particular that were actually new arrangements of Tower of Power songs, so I'd like to leave you today with one of their best, Soul with a capital S as used in Budokai 2. Until next time, folks. We'll